0: Uh, what we're going to do right now is we do this a couple times a year. We're going to talk about who City Bible Church is. Now we know we're a church. Obviously, we worship, um, we glorify God, follow Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of God's Word. We know that, but in the New Testament, in the New Testament, there was different kinds of churches: Church at Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, uh, Colossae, etc. And so, even though they were united. By the worship of the same God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the truth of the word. Each church was a little bit different, depending on where they were at. And so, we're going to take a few moments to talk about what makes City Bible Church unique. You're here, what is it about this particular church... That, uh, that the vision that God has given to us and the unique uh, imprint of God that uh, he has put upon this church. And so for that, City, Bible, Church, we're going to take a look briefly at each one of these words, City, Bible, and Church. When we named this church uh, several years ago, we chose each one of these words specifically, City, Bible, and Church, because we felt that each one of these words was going to be extremely important here in the 21st century. And so uh, I want to do that for a few moments, and then I'm going to talk about some things that are coming up for this church during our time. So, um, Lord, would you just bless this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Amen and amen. Okay, so for City Bible Church, what I want to do is uh, let's look at the word church first. We're going to go backwards. Church Bible City. We are a church. And we believe as a church that church should not primarily be experienced through a screen. Church is important because uh, it's not just enough to say you believe in Jesus Christ. You must be part of a body of believers We believe church is not a place for you to just come, passively attend, leave. You don't ever get to know anyone. They don't get to know you. You never get involved. You just attend and you're a passive observer, kind of like a movie theater. We don't believe that church should be that way. We do not believe that church is primarily a place where we are simply gathered here to fight some social cause against racism, sexism, the environment, helping the poor, etc. What the church is is primarily of movement of God, of faith, hope, and love in the lives of believers. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 through 25. We're going to see these three themes of faith, hope, and love. In these short verses, uh, we're just going to kind of reference it. We don't have time. This is not a whole sermon on these passages, just referencing it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 through 25, look for these themes of faith, hope, and love in this. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is talking about how uh, God has brought together the church. And he says through Christ, he says in verse 22, let us, the us in verse 22 is the church, believing church, draw near... With a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that's through Christ, and our bodies washed with pure water. That is all through Jesus Christ, through our faith in Christ, that happens. Um, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, there's hope, Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up in love, there's love, and good works, not neglecting to meet together, there's the church, believers not stopping meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day, the day of Christ's return drawing near. That is the church. The church is the gathering of believers who have not stopped meeting together, who gather as they look forward to the return of our Lord and Savior, and we uh, live by faith in His sanctifying work in our lives. We hold on to our confession of hope, and we do not waver from it, and we are committed to God's Love and doing acts of love and good works in midst the church. The church is a movement, God's movement of faith, hope, and love. And it's, at City Bible Church, what you can expect here in terms of faith is to learn not just about the doctrines of the faith, the content of the faith, that's very important, the faith once and for all delivered to us. We are to learn about the faith of Jesus Christ, what it means to follow Him but also you are encouraged not to just learn about faith, but to live by faith. And sometimes when we come to church, we think, I just want to learn about faith. And there's a lot of Christians who are educated far beyond the level of their obedience. There are a lot of Christians that have theological knowledge, but it doesn't necessarily lead them to living by faith. And when we say living by faith, we're not just talking about trusting faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, which is the core of our belief in faith, but is also how do I live by faith with what I'm devoting my life to here on this earth? Not just my faith that of my salvation, not just my faith in my sanctification of my spirit. What am I living by faith? How am I using my finances to live by faith and trust God with my finances? How am I, am I taking steps of faith with my finances? Am I taking steps of faith in terms of what I'm Devoting my time and my talents to, devoting it to God? Am I stepping out in faith, trying daring things for God, dynamic things for God? So I want, you want to learn about faith, but you also want to live by faith. The church is a movement of faith, hope, and love. Hope. Hope is defined in the Bible primarily in two ways. Number one, it is the hope that we hold on to for our salvation. We have the hope of heaven, we have the hope of the glory of God. We hope for things that we do not currently see. That's the definition of hope, but we hold on to the belief that they will happen. So we have hope in this church and that's what you want to, we're going to foster in you and and encourage you how to hold on to hope in Christ for your future. But secondly, hope is defined as what happens now that you are to endure in hope. You're to endure in hope through your trials and your temptations, and your testings, that we hold on, we persevere, we're steadfast, we're enduring in our hope, and who we place our hope in. And thirdly, at City Bible Church, we um, are a church that's a movement of God's love. Love. Uh, Paul said that he could move mountains, but if he didn't have love, he was like an empty clanging cy- symbol. Jesus said, it is by your love shall all men know that you are my disciples. And so we want you to grow in love. Bible says in Romans five, that God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy spirit. God has given you his love to heal you to, for your life to become a vessel of his love. As we commune with God, we connect with his love. And as we express that love, First John chapter 4, to other believers, we are perfected, it says, the word of God. And so we want to grow in love, grow, grow in love for one another, grow in love for God, the two great commandments. And part of love at this church means that uh, we grow in love for God by obeying his commandments. This is what Jesus said, right? If you love me, obey my commandments. We want to grow in love by treating every believer the same. This is what the apostle James said in James chapter two. He said, if a rich believer comes into your midst and a poor believer comes into your midst, and then you turn to the rich believer and say, Oh, sit here up in the front. But then you see a poor believer and say, Oh, well, you know, you sit there in the back. How can the love of God be in you? All right. And so as you look around in this room, rich Christians and poor Christians has to do a lot more than who has money and who doesn't have money. That might be one, you know, that's one consideration. But rich and poor also has to do with your social standing. You know, and I, I think what we want to see happen at this church is an expression of God's love where just as God, Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor for your sake so that you who were poor may become rich, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, We want to look around in this room right now at the faces that you see and say, you know, whether I'm rich, poor, Christian or not, uh, every Christian here, every believer gets treated as royalty. Every believer here gets embraced in love. There's no you know, high, higher tier of Christians in this room and lower tier, depending on how much theological knowledge you have or depending on how popular you are. No, that does not exist here at City Bible Church, or it shouldn't. And so we want to commit here at this church that we have faith in Jesus Christ. We have hope in eternal life in Christ. And we have an enduring hope in him. But also we love Jesus by obeying his commands and expressing that through one towards one another, doing God's good works to Him, uh, to others, and for Him. Galatians chapter five says, "Since you have been set free, do not leave your do not use your freedom to serve the flesh, but in love serve one another." Faith, hope, and love—that is the core definition of the church. The church should be a movement of faith, hope, and love. You and I. Um, should be moving with God. You should have a moving faith. In the 21st century post-Christian context, uh, there are many threats to your faith. False teachers. Um, There are false churches. There are um, sinning believers that want to lead you astray. There's a wicked world out there. There are uh, pharmaceutical believers that would just want to put on you a yoke that Christ is not. There's all these threats to your Christian faith that, that the Bible talks about. But one of the f- big threats that uh, happens in a context where you're not directly persecuted is when you're spiritually stagnant, spiritually lukewarm, spiritually dead on the inside. And so you have to see that as a threat in our context. And say, you know what, my commitment is, like Paul said in Galatians chapter 5:25, "If I live by the Spirit, let me keep in step with the Spirit. May I be moving towards God? May I be moving with a community of faith, in faith, hope and love? And so that is our definition of church. And uh, we think that that will be life-giving to you and a blessing, and you will find the life of Christ in that. The word Bible. Excuse me. We chose the word Bible because and, and we specifically put that in the name of our church. Not every church does. It's okay if they don't, but we wanted to put the word Bible in um, the name of our church because we knew that the Bible was not just under attack, the Bible was falling into irrelevancy in our wider culture. And so we believe at this church that the Bible is inspired by God. It is inerrant without error. It is authoritative for all matters that it speaks to. And it is sufficient uh, for all of life and godliness. Turn with me to um, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, this is a great uh, section of scripture that talks about the inspiration, inerrancy, authoritativeness, and sufficiency of God's word. In Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, David writes this, (coughs) says the verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise, the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, also than honey and dripping from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Keep your eyes on these verses. Verse 7 through 11. You see the inspiration, inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of Scripture in this. Verse 7, it says that what the law of the Lord is, this is from the Lord, that the law is from the Lord. Verse 7, it says again in verse 7, the testimony of the scriptures is from the Lord. Verse 8, the precepts of scripture are from the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, and he's talking that in the context of scripture. So David is saying here in Psalm 19, the scriptures are inspired by who? The Lord. The Lord. This is coming directly from the Lord. It's not a request. It's not a principle for living. The Bible itself is God breathed. It comes directly from the mouth of God, the creator of the universe. It is inspired by God. Secondly, it, the, we believe that the word of God is inerrant. It's perfect. Look in verse seven. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Uh, verse eight. The commandment of the Lord is what? Pure. Pure. There is no error to scripture from Genesis to Revelation because it is God inspired and God is not full of errors. Thirdly, we believe the word of God is authoritative, authoritative. Again, verse eight it says the commandment of the Lord is pure. A commandment is authoritative. A, you, your commanding officer gives you a commandment that has authority over your life. There's no greater, greater commanding officer that we have than who? The Lord. And so when it says here the commandment of the Lord, this is not an option for us. This is We are literally under command by the creator of the universe. He has authority and he alone has authority over us. I, I To any extent I have authority over you as a pastor, uh, it is only because I'm teaching the word of God. And finally, the word of God is, is sufficient. It is sufficient. In verse 10 and verse 11, talks about how the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, all of these things in verse 10 and 11, he compares it to gold and to honeycomb. He says, it's to be more desired than gold, which is like the most valuable material thing. And then it is sweeter than honey is the word of God which is like one of the most desirable things that you can eat. And so the word of God here, the Bible is saying about itself is more valuable than anything material thing you can have. And it's better for your body than the sweetest thing that you can eat. It is sufficient for all things physically that you need or spiritually. And so we have a high view of scripture. We believe at this church that when you hold scripture to the highest possible place, Psalm 138, verse 2, above all things else, God, you have elevated your name and your word. That churches that elevate God's word to the highest place, God tends to bless those churches. Churches that capitulate on the word of God, oh, it's stories, it's myths, it's full of falsehoods, it's just kind of life principles to help me live my best life now. Those types of churches God does not bless. And so my job to you is not to prove to you the Bible is true. My job is simply to declare what the Bible is saying, because it is authoritative, inspired, it is sufficient, and it is inerrant. Um, you know, I was I was talking with uh, with Darcy today. We in between our services, we went to a place called Cantor's Deli. I think I, we've been there, Jay. Right? <laughs> the thumbs up. Uh, it's a Jewish deli out in um, in Los Angeles, and we went there for lunch today. And I love driving with my kids in the car in the car because we just get a chance to talk in, in uh, just random things sometimes. But sometimes we talk about deep things in the faith. And Darcy was talking about um, she's talking about how do you know the will of God. That was her question to me. And I said, well, the best way to know the will of God is to know the word of God, because the word of God is God's expressed will of God to us. Now, there might be some other ways that things happen that you think is the will of God, but primarily the will of God is seen through the word of God. And I said to her today, it's very, very important that you as a Christian know the word of God. It's very important that you develop a discerning mind between truth versus error, right versus wrong, uh, good versus bad, through the Word of God. Why? I'm going to show you something. I want you to stay with this passage in Psalm 19. I'm going to show you the difference between churches that hold up the word of God to a high place and churches that do not. I'll give one example. I'm going to use it from this passage. And this is exactly what I said to Darcy today. I said, you know, that passage we looked at, uh, at Psalm 19 today, Darcy, you know, where it says, um, in verse seven, look there with me, the law of the Lord is perfect. See that in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, when you know the Bible, you read this verse and you say, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law refers to what? The scriptures. That's very clear. And who gives it to us? The Lord. And what is it? Perfect. And so we as Christians, we take that by faith. We know that when it says here, the law of the Lord, it's referring to the scriptures. And if you are a biblically discerning Christian, you not only receive that, you believe that, you know that that is what the scripture is talking about. The law of the Lord is referring to the scriptures. In our culture today, they will mangle this verse, I told Darcy and Keene. and the law of the Lord no longer becomes the law of the Lord. And I'm going to show you how it works. In our culture, false churches and people from outside the church will take a verse like verse 7, they'll say this, well, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, but didn't Jesus also say that, you know, uh, that, that uh, love is the fulfillment of the law? Doesn't the New Testament say that, the law is, uh, that love is the fulfillment of God's law? Yes, it does say that in the New Testament, right? And so a fallen world will say, well, since love is the fulfillment of God's law, therefore what we should be doing is just love people for who they are, where they're at, no matter how they want to change. And if we just affirm who people are, that's a loving thing. And that therefore is the fulfillment of God's law. And you see the difference, right? And see, if you're not a certain Christian, you'll fall for that. And so this is why you want to be part of a Bible teaching and believing church. When we define the law of the Lord, it is actually God's law, it is not some kind of weird, extrapolated interpretation that is used to fit the mood of the age. And so at this church, we teach expositorily, we, we teach out of the text, we hold up biblical gospel-centered counseling above psychology, above Eastern meditation. We believe that's, uh, uh, that the word of God in the context of a loving committee, uh, community is the best thing that you can have to heal your soul. Word city. We see the city as our missions filled to make disciples of Jesus Christ. To make, to become, and make disciples of Jesus Christ happens in the city for this church. Go turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, we're gonna look at verse 16 through 20. <coughs> Normally we start from verse 18, but I actually want to go to verse 16 because there's something very important in verse 17 here. Sometimes we skip over. Making, becoming and making disciples of Jesus Christ in the city where the people congregate. Notice this in verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Okay, that's the disciples, 11 disciples minus Judas. Now watch this in verse 17. And when they saw him, that's Jesus, they, that's the disciples, worshipped him. Watch this. But some doubted. But some, is that a mind blower? The 11 were there. They had seen his resurrection. They're waiting in Galilee. They're worshipping him on one hand, but it clearly says in verse 17, but some doubted. Is that a mind blower? This is the same group of people that Jesus is about to give the great commission to, to go reach the entire world. And there are a bunch of people who are worshiping on one hand, but doubting on the other hand. Now, we don't know exactly what doubted mean. It either it could have meant they doubted Jesus in some way. Are you really Jesus? You know, are, do you really know what you're talking about? That could have been doubted. Or doubted could have meant they were doubting themselves. What am I doing here? I don't belong here. We don't know what doubted means. It might have been one or the other or both, but they doubted. Have you self-eliminated yourself? Have you self-eliminated yourself from the Great Commission? Because you have doubt. Because other people doubt you. You worship God, but you have doubt. You're a doubtful person, and yet what we... This is who the disciples were, right? And he says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, Jesus says, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's stop there. Verse 18. All authority has been given to me. In heaven and earth, it's been given to me. Jesus says, I have this authority in heaven and earth. And guess what? He's giving it to the disciples with this charge. He's saying, lo, I'm going to be with you. You will have authority. You will have authority to go out into the world and to declare boldly what you know to be true. You don't have to doubt. I mean, you, you might have doubt, but you don't have to, you don't express doubt in what you're sharing. You just declare it as true. You know, um, some of you might have a problem with authority. You're like, who am I? You know, uh, who are you guys? You have authority. I, 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 I'm just unsure. Of my, you, know, you, know what, you know what you realize on social media? you watch all these videos on social media, you watch these influencers, you watch these people talking about here's how the world is and here's what you should do and here's how I see the world and you watch these videos and you read these blog posts of these people. You know what you realize after a while? The people that you're reading, the people that you're listening to, a lot of them, they don't know a lot better about what's going on and what the truth is than anyone else. They have simply made the decision to say, I will step forward and declare what I think is true just with authority. And we'll just see who follows me. And you realize how many of these people are completely wrong in what they're saying. With their predictions of the world. Or how the world is. And yet we ascribe to them all kinds, you know, sorts of authority that they have. When they really all they're doing is just saying, I'm going to choose to have authority. They have authority in the wrong way though. You as a believer have the authority of Jesus Christ to go forward to make disciples of all nations. We don't have to doubt. But I wonder how many of us as Christians self-eliminate ourselves from the Great Commission because of our self-doubt and we feel we lack the authority. God has given that to you. Jesus has given that to you. And so he says in verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, what we realize in the Great Commission is It is a commission to both be missionaries and theologians. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's pretty obviously a missionary call. Go, have a sense of movement. Go to all the nations, North Africa, or out in Africa, different areas of Africa. Uh, We sent out the Schaumburgs to Birmingham, England. You know, we want to go to Japan in the future. Mexico, wherever that might be, God sends us. We want to go to all the nations. Uh, The Chinese families here. Uh, God has brought the nations to our church and have come to know Christ. And some of them have ministry still in China, which they are going through the airways into all the nations, (coughs) baptizing them in the name of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit, which we do. We just had eight baptisms uh, that we talked about. Norm uh, mentioned to us father, son and the Holy spirit. And now, Not only are we missionaries to go into all the nations, but we are also theologians, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to what? Not just know, but to follow, to observe. See, to truly make disciples of Jesus Christ, it's not just teaching. It's saying, I'm going to help you to follow what Jesus says. 95% of, Of all professing Christians, that's like over nine out of every ten Christians, never lead anyone to Christ. And I I have asked this question before, and I, I think it's entirely relevant. If Do you believe that there is someone in your life that if we were to go and talk to them and say, another believer that knows you, If we were to go to another believer that knows you and ask them the question, who has been influential? Who has played a major role in your life in terms of you coming to know Jesus Christ? How many of us would have people that we know would name our name? Would say, you know what? Jay, Liz, um, D'Amico, Anna. That person was instrumental in me coming to faith, to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every one of us should have people in our lives who would name our our names. And so we need to get about this, everyone. We need to grow as theologians. We need to go out as missionaries. You have the authority of God. Jesus has given that to you. And the times that we live in are dark and they are perilous. And the Lord is searching the world. It says in second Chronicles for those whose hearts are fully committed to him for to strengthen those hearts. You may have doubt. You may be waffling back and forth between worship and doubting. God's message to you here today is you are the ones that I want. This is the noblest thing that you can give your life to. Going out. And leading others to Christ. Building up the faith of others in Jesus Christ. You may have riches. You may have influence. You may be the popular person. You may build buildings. You may write books. You may do all this stuff. But if you are not making disciples of Jesus Christ. When I was 23 years old, I made a decision. I said, I will align my entire life around these two things. uh, Around God and around people. And uh, I never regretted that. Uh, Never regretted that. Never turned back. And how we make disciples in this church, it's very simple. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said it to the Philippian church and elsewhere. Um, The writer of Hebrews says this as well. Basically, they say, follow those who follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And you may not, I don't know the book. I don't know the curriculum to give to people to raise them up as disciples of Christ. I don't either, to be honest. All I do in making disciples of Jesus Christ is just do what Paul did and the writers of the New Testament. I just say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah, if you're around me long enough, you will definitely see areas of my own life that are not following Christ. Don't, don't follow that. Ignore that. Okay, Or you can you know, correct me if you want. But the, you're going to see areas where I am following Christ. And I'm going to call you to... I, I was at the morning service today. And uh, you know three of the guys were just right in front of me. I said, hey, you know what? Um, and they just happened to be right in front of me. I said, I'm reading this book right now. Why don't you guys read this book by the end of January and we'll talk about it? Just follow me as I'm fine. Learn what I'm learning, do what I'm doing. Right. One of the commitments, you know, Paul came up to me at the party last night, and this is right at midnight when the, the ball was coming down. <coughs> and uh, Happy New Year, everyone. I kissed my wife, you know, we toasted uh, Martinelli's, and Paul just turns to me and he goes, What's your new year's resolution? And I was taken aback because I don't normally have New Year's resolutions, and the ones we I make, you know, are are usually pretty lame. And I, I thought about it for like about five seconds, and I said two things to him. I said, uh, number one, I want to um, do a better job on my prayer life. i more committed to prayer. That I know. You know, they asked Billy Graham at the end of his ministry, what was, uh, what was your biggest regret in your entire ministry? And he said, I didn't pray more. And, you know, Billy Graham had some problems with ecumenicalism and some theology, but uh, what he said was true. And so the second thing I said to Paul was this, I want to read more Christian biographies. I want to learn more about the lives of godly men. The, The disciples are great guys, but I want to see what this has also looked like, the faith has looked like through just kind of normal people throughout church history. And so I have on this table, these are the books. That I'm going to commit to read by the end of February. These are all biographies by Puritans, missionaries, martyrs, John Owen, John Knox, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. I just started reading this one by Martin Lloyd Jones, who will go down as one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. By the way, um, about halfway through that book, these are all great godly men. I have these this stack of books that uh, some of my Lorraine have been reading with the kids. I just grabbed some of them, as well. Uh, missionaries George Mueller uh, started a, a like a, an orphanage. In England, Samuel Morris, who spoke out against slavery here in America. Hudson Taylor, great uh, Gladys Alward, great missionary to China. Eric Liddell, as well as China. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, missionary down in Latin America, um, etc. And that is inspiring to me. I want to follow their example as they follow Christ. Who in your life are you following as, as they follow Christ? Okay? You can't do the Christian faith if you're sitting isolated in your bedroom like Curtis was talking about. Okay, You've got to have people, I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what you're doing. I want to learn from you. I want to learn from your mistakes. What does this really look like? You can't just read it on a page. You need to be discipled or follow the example of what it looks like in real flesh and blood. And I hope you have that. So that's really what our church is about. City, Bible, church. That's what you're signing up for by being here. And it is our goal, as Paul said in the book of Colossians, to present everyone mature in Christ. And so I'm going to end with this. Um, let's go on to the next slide. I, a few things coming up to those ends. Uh, we have our retreat, which uh, has been mentioned to you so, uh, thus far. We really want to encourage everyone to sign up. Um, And the theme is water, John chapter 4, verse 14, where Jesus says, if anyone believes in me, uh, uh, an eternal spring of waters will flow out of him. And so we're going to take this metaphor of water um, that is traced throughout Scripture. The storm, storming areas of your life when you're going through difficulty. Flood, when God just wipes out evil. Wash. Uh, when cleansing from sin, rain—that's a blessing to you. Still waters, watering for growth, etc., etc., etc. We're going to look at these different themes in the retreat. You're going to have opportunity to, to choose different tracks that fit kind of where you're at. Uh, we're going to get confirmation. It looks like it's going to go through. We're going to get confirmation this week. A pastor friend of mine named Roy is probably going to join us at the retreat to be kind of a pastoral resource to anyone who wants to meet with him. He'll pray for you. He'll listen to you, uh, maybe counsel you. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for about 15 years. Pastors a church out in Riverside. And he'll probably join us for the retreat to be a pastoral resource. Just kind of a friend to us during the retreat. Um, But that is going to be fantastic. And I want to see, you know, if you can be there, be there. If you have to call in sick for work, you know what? I, I think God will understand, all right? Do what you got to do to be there. And you can confess your sin of lying at the retreat. It's fine. Jesus covered it all. So just come to retreat. I'm half kidding. I'm half kidding with that. Half kidding with that, all right? So, um all right, let's move on. Uh, so we have another picture of uh, the Chinese group of, of just... All these families that we have seen God do tremendous things in your life uh, over this past year. And we're going to have a a little leadership retreat next weekend. But one of the things we're going to talk about is how can we come alongside what God is doing in the Chinese families to encourage them in their faith. And my hope for you guys here is that 2023 would be a year where God identifies people in your life. For you to reach out to and lead to Christ. Who would that be? My hope for you guys is that in 2023, the Lord would grow you in your faith and hope and love. And so that is going to be a priority in our church, what God is doing amidst your midst in 2023. Um, this is a picture from downtown. L.A., Little Tokyo, Uh, what is our next steps there? Where is God leading us for there? I'm really excited to see what God reveals from that. Bottom picture, you want to be thinking about Easter weekend. Remember, Easter weekend, we've been doing this the past several years. Um, We're going to do second day again, which is an opportunity for you to do a creative testimony of uh, kind of your struggles in their faith and how God is working redemptively through that. So that will be happening. You won't be thinking about that. We'll give details pretty soon. And the two books that I've written on the future of the church and the future of what it means to be human will be coming out uh, this year. And so I'm very excited about that. I've been working on that very hard uh, for a long time. And so I think that will be, a, a, God can use that to let other people know about our church and to bring him glory. And so um, that could be a good thing. A um, couple more things that will not be done. Um, starting next week for the next three weeks again we're taking a break from our series in the book of Romans we're going to pick that up after we retreat again we left off in Romans 6 next three weeks we are going to be talking, doing a mini series called um, a first century faith for the 21st century family a first century faith for the 21st century family and it's going to be three weeks on looking at different scriptures in the bible of what a godly family looks like so that will start next week for the next three weeks and finally um as we look into the next couple months we want to encourage you to serve to find a way to serve in this church you know i was just talking with jesse our brother jesse i don't know where he is he's somewhere here and um and he, was, he just kind of came up to me and he goes, hey, pastor, I want to find a way to serve in this church. I'm a handyman. I can build things. I can make things. And I was like, absolutely. We're going to go to Hope Gardens. We're going to build some stuff. You can build some stuff for um, the Easter service. And let's get together. Uh, Lorraine and I have been wanting to have some families over for dinner on Sunday nights. I just went up to him, hey, let's find a way for your family and my family to go out to dinner. You guys can come over to our house um, sometime, hopefully in the next few weeks. And so, but just encourage you guys to serve and to find a way to do that. All right, so that is where we are at as a church. And I want to close this time by going into a time of communion right now.